Well, good morning. Uh, you have your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Jonah, uh, to chapter 1. Uh, as we continue this sermon looking at Jonah, this wayward prophet, uh, and I, as I was working through this passage this week, I kept thinking about a movie uh, that actually came out quite a few years ago about a guy named Forrest Gump. Um, because Forrest Gump, he wasn't the smartest guy. Uh, he wasn't the richest guy. He wasn't the best looking guy. But Forrest Gump could do one thing better than most people. Forrest could run. Uh, he could run fast. He could run long. And the direction didn't really matter to him at all. And it was his running that often got him in, into all kinds of interesting situations as this movie went along. Uh, situations he never really saw coming. So people would tell him, run, Forrest, run. Well, as we come to Jonah, Jonah probably, I think, would have felt right at home with Forrest Gump. Because if there's one thing that Jonah sort of seems to excel at doing, it's a running. Uh, and if there's one thing that Jonah's running leads him into, it's an interesting situation that I'm pretty sure he never saw coming either. And I hope you had a chance to read through the book of Jonah uh, this past week uh, to look at this passage we're looking at. We're not going to read it before we jump into it, uh, just in the interest of time. But just encourage you again, keep reading through this book in the weeks ahead, uh, just to help us get the most out of it. But let's just pray as we begin. Father God, um, well, just as you were with Jonah, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us uh, in our time together this morning as we open your word, that your spirit would be our guide, uh, would be our teacher, would uh, help this truth uh, just find, find a place in our hearts. Uh, yeah, and that, Lord, you would change us with this truth, that, Lord, we would just truly hear uh, the words, the thoughts, the ideas uh, that you need us to hear, and that, Lord, you would change us, uh, that we'd be transformed as a result of what we hear this morning. Lord, we pray that you would be with us in a very special, very real way uh, as we look at your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I came across this week a story that's told by a woman named Lois Kruger uh, in a book uh, called Chicken Soup for the Soul. And she writes about this. She says, On a very hectic day when my husband and I were busy doing, going in a hundred different directions, our four-and-a-half-year-old son, Justin, had to be reprimanded for getting into some mischief. And after several attempts, my husband George finally just told him to stand in the corner. And he's very quiet, but you could tell he wasn't very happy about it. Finally, after a few minutes, he finally just said, I'm going to run away from home. And my first reaction was surprise. You are. But as I turned and looked at him, he looked like an angel, so small, so innocent, with his face so sad. And my heart felt his pain. And I remembered a moment in my own childhood when I spoke those words and how unloved and lonely I felt. So I had an idea. I said, okay, Justin, you can run away from home. And I just tenderly whispered to him that those words and I started packing out his clothes. Well, we're going to need your PJs and we're going to need your coat. And Justin looked at, looked at his mom and said, Mama, what are, you go, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm packing. I'm helping you pack for your trip. But then I went on. As I went into my own room, I started packing my own clothes. We're going to need my coat and we're going to need my nightgown. And, and I placed all those things into a bag and then placed all of our things at the front door. And I said to my son, okay, Justin, are you sure you want to run away from home? 
He said, yes, but where are you going? And I, that's when I told him, well, if you're going to run away from home, then mama's going to go with you because I would never want you to be alone. I love you too much, Justin, to let you run away all by yourself. And I actually think that story is a pretty good explanation of what's happening in this passage uh, in the book of Jonah that we're looking at this morning. Because just as this woman, Lois, watched her son decide to run away from home, God was watching this wayward prophet of his named Jonah trying to run away, trying to flee. But you know what? Jonah's not going to get very far before he learns that God's not going to let him run away all by himself. And that's actually where we pick up the story from last week. Uh, Last week we looked at verses 1 to 3, and I want you to hear them again. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So in summary of those verses, God tells Jonah, Jonah, you need to go to Nineveh to proclaim this message that I have for them. And it's it's a firm, unequivocal, undeniable, inescapable call of God. Go directly to Nineveh. Uh, Don't second guess it. Don't hesitate about it. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just go. And you know, it's almost as if verses 1 and 2 of this passage are saying, on your marks, get set. And when we get to verse 3, it's, it's, it becomes all go, all going. And as I read this, it's all, if Jonah was a cartoon, when Jonah runs, there would be like a little Jonah-shaped cloud of dust left where he was standing like the roadrunner when he, he takes off running. I mean, Jonah, is, he's just gone, and he's running just as fast as his feet are going to carry him. Uh, even in his own words, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, he says he made haste to flee. But here's the thing, because when we finally catch up to Jonah, we find that he's actually running in the completely wrong direction. He's not running to God, he's running away from him. Because Jonah, as we heard last time, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And you know, maybe his thinking on the matter went a little something like this. He said, God, not a chance. There's no way I am going to travel 500 miles across a hot, dusty desert just to save those rotten people. I mean, they're mean, they're cruel, they're, they're not even Jewish. So I don't really even care about their salvation. You know what? To be honest, God, I'm going to tell you, when I get to heaven, I really actually don't want to see those kind of people there. So instead of obeying, Jonah decides he's going to run. And the place that he chooses to run to, we are told, is a place called Tarshish. And rest assured, if you were alive at that time, Tarshish probably would have been your first choice of destinations as well. Because Tarshish is everything that Nineveh wasn't. Nineveh was to the east. Tarshish was pretty close to the farthest point west known to mankind at that time. Nineveh was a desert. Tarshish was a tropical beachfront paradise. Nineveh was a place that was rough and cruel and crude. Tarshish was seen as a place of culture and art and sophistication and trade. 
Nineveh conquered and killed their enemies. Tarshish was a place that was civil. It was diplomatic. Nineveh meant Jonah would be preaching to a hostile crowd. Tarshish meant he would probably be be sipping a cool drink by a pool. Nineveh held the promise of death. Tarshish held the promise of excitement and adventure. In fact, I think through the years, in the minds of many Jewish people, Tarshish kind of developed this reputation as kind of a fairy tale wonderland. It was this mysterious kingdom far, far away. In fact, during the king, reign of King Solomon, we're told in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, it talks about Tarshish like this. It says, For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. When you hear about Tarshish, this is, I mean, there's all kinds of fancy animals, all kinds of rich goods. I mean, it was this exotic land of luxury and wealth. What's not to love about that? So I think Jonah kind of thinks to himself, you know, if I can't actually stay in the promised land, this Tarshish place that I've heard of must be the next best thing. So Jonah heads to the docks and he finds a boat setting sail in that direction and he pays his fare. And just a quick note here, this this would not have been a cheap ticket uh, for a trip to Tarshish. Jonah's not just, you know, cashing in a couple of air miles or redeeming a coupon you know, or, or he's not sailing standby kind of thing. The Bible actually here implies that Jonah actually pays cash. So it's not a barter. It's not sort of a trade of goods. You know, it's not do some work, earn your keep kind of thing. This is cash on the barrelhead. And that tells us that Jonah was either really well off financially, that he had this kind of money standing around, or else it tells us that Jonah was actually probably packing it all in to make this trip. He he may have had to sell off all of his worldly goods and possessions just to pay his way. Which meant that for Jonah, this was probably in his mind a one-way ticket. Uh, Jonah's not planning to be back in Israel anytime soon. But it's here we also learn that God is not going to let Jonah run away from home all alone. In fact, God himself is going to tag along in a very dynamic way. Because we read in verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest upon the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. When God shows up, the text says he literally throws a storm, a tempest, against this boat. The image here really is God, like a baseball pitcher. He's winding up and he hurls from his hands a great wind at this little boat that Jonah is sailing on. And that spelled real trouble for this little ship. And, you know, keep in mind, these guys, these sailors were experienced men. Uh, The Bible actually calls them, the word it uses there, uh, it calls them salts. Uh, I mean, these were the kind of men that had been at sea so long, they were permanently crusty. Uh, that's the kind of sailors they were. And these guys probably, you know, they probably had plenty of land-loving passengers who were seasick all the time or thought they were going to die uh, on the ship every time the wind blew. But for them, again, 
they had never come up, up against something they couldn't handle. They trusted their boat. They trusted their captain. They trusted their experience. And it always had gotten them through. That is until now. Because when God sends this storm, it's as bad as it gets. And we know that for two reasons. First, we are told they were throwing their cargo overboard. And understand that was a true act of desperation in this culture. For a sailor or a ship to lose their cargo, it would have cost them everything. Uh, to lose your cargo was more than just facing sort of the possibility of, of not getting paid or getting a paycheck. It was to lose an investment that could never be recovered. Um, it was a debt they could never repay. Uh, to sacrifice their cargo meant that this was a life or death situation. Um, they, they were out of options. And the other way that we know this is serious is actually when they go to Jonah. Uh, verse 5 continues. It says, But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down, and it was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean? You sleeper, arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now I want you to actually notice what they ask of Jonah when they wake him up. Because when the sailors wake Jonah up, it's not, Jonah, help us bail. It's not, you know what, you know, man the oars, help us row, help us steer, you know, get the sails down, do something to help. That's not what they ask. What they ask is, Jonah, get up and pray. Because there was nothing left for the sailors to do, nothing left for them to try that they could save themselves. They, 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 They had done everything they knew how. This was a situation where they had nothing humanly possible left for them to hope in, that they were going to survive. The only hope left was that God would intervene. Nothing else was going to save them. What they needed was a miracle. And it's here, as Jonah's sort of shaking off his sleep, that he discovers you can't outrun God. And verse 7 continues, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So these sailors, being a superstitious group of men, they want to know which of them may have angered the gods so greatly that they would have sent a storm like this, one that they were experiencing upon them. So they cast lots. Uh, which is really kind of like flipping a coin. Uh, It's not overly informative, but if you need to choose between two choices, it'll do, you know, this or that. Uh, And to be clear here, the Bible, the Bible's not telling us here that this was a good or even a recommended way to make a decision in your life. God chose to, in this situation, to use the casting of lots to expose Jonah, but please don't see this as any way to make important choices in your own life. But what happens is, in the end, Jonah's secret is out. Uh, He's standing there on the deck, confronted with the truth that he is the one. He's the reason that God has brought this calamity upon them. And the sailors, when they find this out, they're full of questions. I mean, uh, why is this happening? Where do you come from? Who are your people? What do you do for a living? What's your favorite color? I mean, it's it's question after question. And it's, 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 it's a picture of these sailors, these men, 
desperately seeking for some kind of answer that will make sense for, this, for, for all that they're going through. And Jonah's answer to them is telling. Verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I actually read this week in one of my commentaries, this is the prophet's version of name, rank, and serial number. It's All Jonah gives them is the facts. It has all the information, but none of the passion that it should have. But still, look at the response uh, to Jonah's words in these men. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And let's just hit the pause button again here for a moment. Because right from the moment that Jonah starts running, you kind of have to ask yourself, really, Jonah? Like, this is your plan? Jonah, you're going to try to run from God. I mean, you're going you're gonna to flee from God, who in Jonah's own words, rules the heavens and the seas and the dry land. I mean, where exactly do you go to flee from a God who's everywhere? I mean, what was Jonah thinking? It actually, it reminds me of my kids. When, when the kids were young and you were playing hide and seek with them, and you, your turn to hide, and they would just cover their eyes, and they would go like, yeah, you can't see me, I'm hiding. It was adorable with your kids, but it was silly because you're not hiding at all. And it, what Jonah is doing almost seems to be that ridiculous because there is an inherent futility from trying to hide from a God who's everywhere and sees everything. In fact, Psalm 139 uh, just applies so well here. Psalm 139 says this, verse 1. Says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or if I settle on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The light will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I mean, what a picture of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God. And Jonah would have known God like that. You know what? As a prophet of God, he would have known that better than most people. 
So what was he hoping to accomplish? Well, I think that Jonah was simply desperate and that he would have just, he would have tried anything to ignore God's call upon his life. And I think that's a very human response that Jonah has here. He doesn't know what to do, so he just, he runs. And, you know, Jonah may have known full well in his head that there's no place on earth that he can escape from God's presence, but maybe at least he thought, I can try to go somewhere where I'm not reminded of God every time I turn around. You know, in Israel, people talk about God. They pray to God. They sing songs to God. They offer sacrifices to God. They read the word of God. In Tarshish, maybe that won't happen. So Jonah thinks, you know, just maybe getting away, things will be easier. Maybe a change of scenery will help Jonah ignore that still small voice that's still trying to speak to his heart. So he runs, thinking he can get away from God. But you know what? He doesn't, because just the opposite happens. Because by running, Jonah has run straight into into an encounter with the Lord. And God was not going to let him off the hook. And anything, if anything, the storm gets worse. As we read in verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do? To you, that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And notice here the sailors are looking for some way to appease the anger of God. So they ask, Jonah, if this is your God, what's going on? Like, what does he want from us? I mean, does he want a sacrifice? Does he want some kind of ritual? Does he want us to do the hokey pokey and turn ourselves around? Just let us know. What is it he wants so we can do it so his anger will fade and we can live? And the response that Jonah gives um, comes in verse 12. Because Jonah says, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, what's kind of interesting to me here is that I don't think Jonah's answer is actually right. I don't think it's correct at all. I don't think God was after Jonah's death. God did not send this storm so that Jonah could be thrown into the sea with a chance of being drowned. Because what God actually wanted, what God really wanted, was for Jonah just to turn around, to repent, and to obey. That's what God wanted. But you know what? I mean, Jonah knew God wasn't interested in more rituals or sacrifices or ceremony. Jo- Jonah knew God wanted Jonah to surrender. And yet even still, here's the thing. I don't think that Jonah was ready to do that in his heart yet. I don't see Jonah's offer to these sailors as being sort of a noble gesture. It's not, you know what, uh, it's not Jonah saying to the Savior, you know, take me, throw me into the sea and save yourselves. Because what I think Jonah is saying with these words is he's saying, I am still looking for a way to avoid doing what God wants me to do. And you know what? Throwing me into the sea and having me drown and be dead, that might just do it. Because you know what? If Jonah's dead, he figures there's a pretty good chance he still doesn't have to go to Nineveh. And for him in his mind, death was still preferable in his mind than it was to obey the word of God. Jonah is still... But even by being thrown into the sea, he's still looking for a way to run from what God is calling him to do. But even then, the sailors, the sailors don't want his blood on their hands. So they do everything that they can think of to try to save his life. Even with to no avail. As we read in verse 13, it says, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard 
to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous around them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its ragings. Now can you imagine that moment and what the sailors were thinking when they throw Jonah over the the, the side of their boat and as he hits the surface of the water, suddenly the storm ceases. The waters go from like chaos to calm instantly. I mean, it it would have been eerie and probably terrifying. Because those sailors knew beyond a doubt that this was no natural occurrence. This was creation itself responding to the command of its creator. And that is why we read that in the quiet of that boat, the men who are left behind on deck worship the Lord. Verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. And I think these sailors learned a very powerful lesson about an all-powerful God that day. And their lives were probably changed forever as a result. But what about Jonah? Well, this certainly is not the end of his story either. But I'll just leave you with this little teaser in verse 17 that says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But we're going to talk more about that next time. But for now, as we close I just want to give you a couple of thoughts, a couple of lessons that I think we can learn and apply to our lives. Just the take-home lessons, even though you're already at home. Take-home lessons about Jonah from our passage this morning. And I have four of them for you. Lesson number one, I think, what we can learn from this passage is that there's more than one way to try to run and hide from God. Um, you know, we kind of laugh at Jonah for taking, trying to take a boat to outrun God, but you know what? In our own lives, we can do things that are just as silly when we try to run and hide. We can run from God. We can hide from God in our careers. We can try to run by just keeping busy. Um, we can run from God by just wasting time, you know, watching movies or playing video games and just frittering away the moments. We can try to hide from God in empty pleasures. We can hide from God in our relationships. Um, I know people who won't even go to church because they think that's where God is. So if they stay away from church, then God won't be able to find them. But we can basically hide from God in anything that will distract our minds long enough that it helps us ignore God's voice when he calls to us in our lives. We all have ways we try to hide from God. And the application I would just want to ha- I have for you in this is this. Um, if you're running from God, No matter how you may be doing it, you need to know that you are headed in the wrong direction. And it's time for you to turn around. Now the second lesson I want you to learn from this passage um, is to beware beware of the lure of Tarshish. Because you know what? Tarshish Tarshish is the the grass is always greener on the other, other side of the fence syndrome. Tarshish was Jonah's fantasy that he used to try to escape his reality. And there are many people who are just not content with where they are in their lives. Uh, Maybe they're single and they have this dream to be married and it's just like, 
I can't be happy because I'm single because I have this dream and it's bigger than the, you know, maybe they're married and their dream is that their spouse would be someone else. Maybe they have a job they hate and they wish for a career, that career they always dreamed about. Maybe it's as simple as a person wishing they were taller or, or smarter or more beautiful. You know, we all have dreams that haven't come through. And for whatever reason, there are so many people that are just discontent with their lot in life. And they dream of something different that God just hasn't given to them. But the application I want to give you here is bloom where you're planted. Uh, You know what? It's not a mistake that you are where you are. Uh, Whatever your circumstances, God wants you to live for him fully in them right now, right where you are. And I'll be the first to admit, it's not always easy, but it needs to be our goal. Don't, don't try to escape into fantasy. Seek to be content and learn to live God with, for God in your reality right now. You know what? The grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. Just be content and live where you are right now. That leads us to lesson number three from this passage. Um, and the lesson number three is this. People may surprise you. If you give them a chance. Uh, This is actually one of the things I really love about this passage. Um, You know, Jonah, he's the prophet of God. He's one of God's chosen people. And yet he's sleeping, (laughs) he's sleeping away in the middle of this storm. Yet these old crusty pagan sailors in the middle of this storm are having a prayer meeting. Jonah, the prophet of God, is fleeing because he would rather his heathen enemies die. Well, at the same time, these pagan sailors risk their their lives doing all they can in order to allow Jonah to live. Jonah the prophet is running from God and, and refusing to repent, while the sailors, as soon as they learn about who God is, their first response is to humble themselves and worship the Lord. And it just shows us how, it's funny how the assumptions we can make about people can be so wrong. And the application I want to give you here is one of the missional emphases emphases of the book of Jonah itself. And that there is a spiritual openness in the lives of many people that you probably would never expect. And that no one in our lives should be overlooked as a lost cause. No one should be looked at as a person where God could not work if God chooses to go to work. Just don't make assumptions. Let people surprise you in the way that they respond to the Lord. Which leads us to the final lesson I want to give you this morning. And that's simply this. God is still calling people to obedience and surrender in their lives. And sometimes that is still a very scary thing. You know, he may be calling you to make a change in your behavior and live in a way that's more honoring to him. He may be calling you to serve and use your strength and your talents to help build his kingdom. He may be calling you to take opportunities to share your faith with the people in your life. He may be calling you to finally just be that person to finally accept his free gift of salvation. He may be calling you to draw closer to him and walk with him. You know what? I can't know what God is calling you to do in your life and what he's trying to say to you this morning or what you're wrestling with. But I wonder if I were to ask you, what is God asking you to do in your life right now that scares you? I know that some of you are going to have an answer. And I'm going to tell you this. God's not going to give up on you. Even if you ignore that thing. You know, he's not going to cut you off 
as a lost cause either. You know, what's, what's interesting to me about the book of Jonah is that God could have just cut Jonah loose. There were thousands of other people in Israel who would have obeyed his call, no questions asked. But God, the book of, in the book of Jonah, God wants to do in the, a work in the life of Jonah as much as he wants to do a work in the city of Nineveh. God doesn't give up on Jonah either. And he loves you too much to let you flee and let you hide and let you go your own way in your life as well. So the application I have for all of us is simply stop running. Take the time to stop and listen to what God is trying to say to you and what he is trying to do in your life. And then just live in obedience. Because if you spend your life running from God, if you want to spend your life fighting against God's will, if you want to spend your life fleeing from what God is trying to say and do in your life, then you're going to miss out on what God has in store for you. Because in the end, God's way is always the best way. Even when you think you know better. I actually spoke uh, at the funeral of Sadie O'Shanick this week. I actually spoke to her cousin who was there. Uh, and he just talked about God's goodness to him throughout his whole life. And one of the things that he said to me was said, the only time God ever said no to my prayers was when he had something better in mind. And that's a great lesson I think all of us can learn. And Jonah may not like what God is asking him to do or asking him to go through, but Jonah was about to learn that God had something better in mind than he could know or even understand. God's way in our life is greater by far. And whether you're in Israel or you're in Alberta, whether it's on a storm, a storm on the sea or just those storms that come into our lives, there is only one help. There's only one truth, only one God who can truly make us the people we were made to be and live the life we were created to live. And we only discover that when we live in obedience. And just like Jonah, it's time for all of us to learn to surrender. It's time for all of us to stop fleeing. It's time to stop running and start running towards God and his will in our life. And for us, we can learn from Jonah's mistakes and we can, we can skip the running part and we can just seek to live in obedience to God. Live the life God is calling us to live. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that, that you never leave us alone. Uh, Lord, even in those moments when we try to run, run when we try to flee, um, we know that you are still with us and that, Lord, you are still going to go with us and you're still going to try to bring us back to a place of, of obedience. And that, Lord, when when we react in our lives with stubbornness and, and rebellion, uh, we're so thankful that you respond with just generosity and patience and grace. You love us like a loving parent, refusing to let us run away alone. And you call us back to yourself. And that, Lord, you reach out to us. And sometimes that looks like discipline. Sometimes it looks like hardships. Sometimes you, you put us in a place where we have to come to the end of ourselves. But you do it because you love us. And you do it because you want to bring us back to a place of surrender and a place of repentance and a place where we are truly once again walking in obedience and submission to you. And we pray that, Lord, that we would live those kind of lives, 
And that, Lord, as we live those kind of lives, our lives would be witnesses to the world around us. Just like Jonah, you know, that, as the sailors saw your greatness and your goodness, and they turned their hearts towards you, and they worshiped you. We pray that our lives would do the same in the lives of the people around us. That your work in our lives would draw other people to yourself. But Lord, we do thank you that you never stop and that you never give up on us and that you keep pursuing us and you keep right alongside us, offering us your grace, even when we respond with stubbornness. Uh, we are met by your grace. And Lord, I just thank you for that. I thank you that, Lord, you wanted to save Jonah just as much as you wanted to save Nineveh and that, Lord, you were looking to, to bring us to that same place where we are living in your goodness all of your days. So Lord, thank you for the lessons that we have learned this morning. And Lord, we just pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.